Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Today, we're going to be talking about adoption, foster care, and just motherhood and the struggles of raising a child maybe in the way that we hadn't envisioned or having expectations that didn't align and coming out through the other side. I have invited Janelle Maloney onto the show, and she is the author of this newly released memoir called Unadoptable, question mark, Faith Beyond Foster Care. She is just an amazing person to listen to. She is inspiring. Um, I follow her on Instagram and uh, have really enjoyed everything that she's put out there. And she did not disappoint when I actually talked to her for this interview. She was inspiring and she has such good words and good messages to share with the rest of us. So regardless of whether you've ever encountered the world of foster or adoption, this is still going to be so relevant to you because her words can really be generalized to all of us and all of our struggles through parenthood. So I hope that you enjoy my conversation as much as I did. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Janelle. Well, I want to welcome Janelle Maloney to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to finally meet you and be able to share my story with all the other mothers and families. Yeah, and you have a really interesting story. I've been following you on Instagram. <laughs> I'm stalking you on Instagram because I love your, you did this whole rap thing, which actually has just been, not to start our episode with this, but I do want to say that's kind of what got my attention. I was like, every time I see you in my feed, I like stop and I'm like, I just like love listening to your like poem raps. Like they're, but we're not going to talk about that right now. We'll talk about that later. But I just wanted to say that that's kind of what got me hooked on following your feed. So you are, you were a foster mom. Now you're an adopted mom. Right. And um, I I just want to start with your story because I don't even know your full story. And it'd be really interesting to hear um, how you got started and, and we'll go from there. Absolutely. So um, we were not able, my husband and I were not able to have our own biological children. So we pursued foster to adopt, which um, in California is the mandatory way to adopt from foster care. So first you have to be a foster parent, then you can apply for that child that you're taking care of. So that's okay. You know, it's, it's cheaper than paying 40, $50,000 for a private adoption. And we thought by, um, by pursuing an older child, we would have a lot more information on this child. We would know already medical diagnoses, preferences, habits. And in my mind, maybe that meant easier. And so we met this little boy who had no medical diagnoses at all. Perfect little boy. And he came to our house to stay for the weekend as a respite care. So while you're um, waiting to receive a placement, you can opt in to be a respite provider or a babysitter, in other words. And we said, sure, we'll do that. We were pursuing some other children at the time. And this boy came to us. And then uh, his his current foster family never came back. Which, what? Yeah, no, it's super illegal. They broke so many rules. Whoa. Anyways. Wait, how old was he at the time? 
he will say he was seven. So he was completely abandoned at that point. And terrible. Yeah. So we have trauma upon trauma at this point. So he's lost his biological family. And now the foster home he was currently in that would have been a long-term placement has said, "Mm, sayonara. So we were asked, hey, uh, could you just hang on to him for a while? Could you please, we don't know where to, what to do. This is not normal. Um, so just hold on to him. And we did. And six months later, <laughs> he was wow. still with us. And over that time, I had no idea what was possible that could emerge from me as a mother that was not supposed to be with this boy that never planned to be with a boy like this, and I completely fell in love. And I, all those primal, I I don't know, I can't can't say they're hormonal, but those primal protective urges emerged and I became his mother in that process. So that is the very, very short version of our story of how I became a mother Lucky for him. I mean, lucky for him, you know, that he got placed in a home that where you had those maternal instincts and you felt bonded and that worked for him. That's, that's an interesting story. Thank you. Yeah. In the process, we were able to watch, I don't know if that's the right word. We were watching him unravel and reveal uh, the significant amount of anxieties, significant amount of traumas that were present or created in his prior life situation. And so one of the things that we experienced was learning on the go of how to be a better parent for this particular diagnosis or for this particular part of the journey where maybe he was regressing to infancy and just on the drop of a dime, okay, now we are parents to a seven-year-old infant who needs to be bottle fed. Mm-hmm. And maybe a week later, now we are parents to a seven-year-old who needs to be in diapers again and just being completely flexible to whatever he needed. And that included just, I guess, opening the door for a plethora of diagnoses that I had no idea I was capable of handling. And for the most part, I, I would say I wasn't, that I had to confront and I had to figure out as we were going along. And that that's all that's all in the book and what happens in the mind of the mother to even the mom has to unravel and unwrap all of the expectations all of the hopes all of the what nows and am i good enough or am i capable and who who do i look to because there was just so much in such a short period of time between when we met him and 6 months later for me to come to that conclusion of i think i can do this yeah, which is actually really impressive, I think, without having any, like, one, you know, expectation. So, like, you weren't prepared. Um, right. I used to, it's funny that we crossed paths because I used to do, and we're, we're both in the same state, too. And I used to do, in my past life, like, foster care, um, like, right out of graduate school, I did foster care licensing. And then I did foster care um, supervision, where I would supervise foster homes. And I did adoption. And whenever I did foster care training, you know, I, I think they removed me from it because I was just too frank. I would just be like, it's going to be rough. There are going to be, you know, these are the things that you're going to see. And, you know, 
to prepare people to have yeah. those skills, not to scare them off, but to scare those people who are like, you know, my son just needs a playmate, you know, and I didn't want that because I didn't want disruptions. I wanted really solid forever families. And so I went above and beyond um, giving them skills. Like these are, let, let's prepare you. And there are, these are all, yeah, these I have a list of things I wish. <laughs> yeah. I wish someone had told me these things. I wish you were in my classes. I, I wish someone had told me to lower my expectations or begin my own uh, family therapy or my own personal therapy right now. Because on top of my son's anxieties and his fears and his disruption in his family and just complete loss of identity, I had my own. So now we have two people going crazy and losing their their everything that they feel is safe and secure about their their lives and we're both imploding and exploding at the same time and that's where those disruptions happen and that's where uh maybe as a mom I made some very bad choices or maybe um maybe someone on the outside looked in and said oh this is never going to work because we we appear to be falling apart so yeah the supports the oh man if i had if I had a therapist in my life to, to start off with and just help walk me down into the darkness and promise me that we're going to walk back up, that would have yeah. been great. Yeah. Lost probably a few there when I <laughs> shared that. But, you know, you can, you know, if you want a flashlight in that darkness, you know, it's good to give someone a flashlight so that they can get out and they can, you know, see that light a lot quicker and know, yeah, those that you're going to feel like, um, a, you're going to feel like a bad mom. You're going to feel like you're not equipped. And I, I really feel like a lot of the parents that listen to the show who, who aren't fostering or have adopted feel the same way, even with their biologically anxious kids, where it's not the expectation. And so there's something about expectation in general, I think, parentally that, that kind of gets us all hooked, you know, where we, we can't help but have a, an idea of what life is supposed to look like, you know, yeah. whether we birth a baby or we foster a baby or we adopt a baby. Or, or a child, we have this expectation of this is what it's going to look like. And when it doesn't match that, that's very jarring. And it's almost hard not to put it back on ourselves and say, I'm supposed to be enjoying this right now. You know, I'm <laughs> <to handle> this. <laughs> or I should have seen it coming. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, oh, that's, that's a good a big one, one too. Yeah. So, I do feel like there's this uh, invisible, I mean, it's jargon. The invisible hurt is this mental illness where I can't foresee it. I mean, I can plan so many things and then something new will appear or now he's afraid of this or now he's, uh, one of the things he became is light sensitive, which for a while I thought he was making up. I said, well, you weren't light sensitive last year. <laughs> so, but who knows as he's growing and hormones are changing and he is settling into a new life in a new home and he's becoming more aware of his anxieties, including uh, sensory issues. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's now becoming aware and can communicate that he's light sensitive and I need to take that as gold yeah. instead of doubting and, and wondering, gosh, I, I didn't know you were and you weren't yesterday. So therefore you shouldn't be today. That's crazy talk. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, I'm sure it's so ever evolving for you because once that trauma kind of settles down and there's stability, sometimes the, it's the subtle stuff they start to notice. 
um, because they're in the safe place now. And so it's like, oh my gosh, I am sensitive to light. Never noticed that because I was all like, you know, in fight or flight and, you know, I was hyper aroused the entire time, but now that things are settling and it's hard too, because I think, um, it's a, a little bit of a roller coaster ride for a while until things fully settle. Right. I wonder what's going to come out as he gets older and more hormonal changes are present. And maybe there's more peers who are a little bit more aware of him as well. So, I mean, he's he's 11 now. And so his peers are still real wonky and unaware of themselves or anyone else. <laughs> uh, but once, once they start to become critical, hypocritical, those 13, 14, where they start comparing and competing, I do wonder how much more he will become aware of, of how different he does think or how wrong things appear when compared to what everyone else is doing. And those differences might be exaggerated, unfortunately, fair, unfairly. And now, now that's my anxiety out on the table. So I do, <laughs> I wonder how five years in the future, how am I going to handle this? And how am I going to equip him to, to advocate for himself, to speak up and say, actually, I'm light sensitive, and therefore I'm going to wear my sunglasses in the classroom and be okay with it and not worry that he's going to be teased or anything. That's just, it is who you are and you speak up for what you need. I want him to be confident. And so that means I have to become confident in him and in my own ability to advocate for him so that I can demonstrate how do we do this? How do we move forward? But this is so weird because it's not my, it's not my struggle. It's not my battle. It's so far removed from me. It's in this other little person who might not have the words or the capacity to communicate exactly what it is he's going through. So I'm not a mind reader. You know, what do I do with that? Yeah. And I wouldn't look at five years from now because, um, you know, it doesn't help. And I think it just, yeah. it just revs up the anxiety. And, and really, everything you're going through um, is very similar to think anyone who's raising a child with anxiety or OCD. Like we catastrophize and we think things, you know, five miles out and how are we going to navigate this? And most of the time, it doesn't even happen that way. It just doesn't unfold in that way. I mean, I've done that with my child. I mean, my 16-year-old, my gosh, I worried enough for all three of my kids with her because she was so severe in so many different ways. And now she's like, she's like a very typical 16 year old. And I'm just like, I want those years back that I set. Oh gosh. Her. Yeah. So she was really non-functional at certain points. And I thought, how on earth is she ever going to function? So I say, get tunnel vision. That's my, that's my, <laughs> that's my advice for everybody is get tunnel vision and focus on the now, but it doesn't mean that you go blind and you're like just ignorant to the future. It's just looking at what he can do now and those little, little opportunities for him to advocate for himself or to model advocating, even if you don't know always what he needs advocating for, um, is helpful. It's even in the subtle things like, can you go ask them for a straw? You know, I mean, that stuff that my mom didn't do with me, you know, because I had social anxiety and I'd be like, I'm not going to go ask, you know, and that should have been encouraged because, it's advocating. It really is advocating for yourself. Like, oh, it's too hot in here. Why don't you go tell him to turn it down? Even yeah, you can do something about it. You can help. And it, you don't have to affect everybody, but you can definitely affect yourself. You can definitely have that positive impact on your own body comfort sensory system. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. 
and empowering them to do that. Yeah, I agree. So, so it's been a while. So he's 11. So four years. Yes. He's, uh, yeah, he's almost 12. That's fun. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> We're, we are, we've been all the way through the, the regressive infancy, all the way up to almost, mom, I've got this, don't tell me what to do. And it's such a rapid experience for me in just those four years yeah. to go from holding a very incapable person to, whoop, he's on his own, he has a cell phone now. And I think, whoa. And I just... Uh, I almost grieve for those moments that I, I had a baby for a, a moment yeah. and he's become so capable and so communicative and bright and I'm thoroughly amazed, but that's what, that's what I'm looking back. And when I look forward, I get the anxiety. When I, when I look back, I get reassured and I want to tell I want to tell the other mothers that are in that situation where they have a child where they're discovering something's off or they're discovering, huh, I'm going to have to take on a bigger burden to remember to not look forward too far, as you were saying, but, you know, look back and there are moments of success and tenderness and um, encouraging reminders that you are doing the right thing, that this child absolutely loves and appreciates what you've done and see that growth. So even in that three steps forward, two steps back, that's still a step forward and that should be validated and it should be acknowledged. That's progress. Yeah, I totally agree. And I always tell people journal it, you know, like with my kids, I journal it and I'm like, I'm not a journal person. So I have a gratitude journal just because I want to like have gratitude in life, you know, but it's not. Yeah. I mean, and that, you know, they've done research studies that say physiologically that actually improves your health to have a gratitude journal. So there you go for that. Um, but for my kids, like I'll just have my phone I, on a notes, you know, just each month I'll just say like, we're struggling with pee, you know, or like we're struggling with, you know, spitting food out, like whatever their OCD issue is or their anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then to go back and see that pattern and be like, oh my gosh, last year in December, cause I have no memory whatsoever. <laughs> you know, look how bad it was. And I think a lot of times we don't do that. We just look at what's in front of us or what could potentially be um, next, which is even scarier depending on our disposition for anxiety. And we don't, we don't often celebrate how far our kids have come. And especially when you are adopting and the evolution I know when I was in the adoption world is it's on speed. It's like zero to 60 and And so they do go through that regressive period and then all of a sudden they're walking and all of a sudden they're independent and like you're, you're doing, um, childhood like on fast forward. Yeah. On steroids. Yeah. 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 So you're seeing it a lot more rapidly, but I think just going back and, and, you know, seeing all the progress is very uplifting because instead of looking at what will be looking at what has been, um, can be inspiring because I rarely see someone who's like drastically regressed to the point where they're worse than they ever, ever were. Um, normally there's some progression, especially if you're working on it, you're aware of it, you're trying to give your child tools. I right. mean, ultimately it, it's up to them. So, yeah, that's where we are now is, is, uh, in the past mommy took care of everything. And that was a very 
large burden, but now he's able with his communication skills and his coping skills, he's able to take some of the responsibility on himself and, oh, Natasha, I am dumping it on him. Absolutely. Like with, with uh, your teen daughter, what would you think about this and how would you plan this and just handing it over? Do you think they're really saying that? And really just getting him to own his thoughts and his feelings. And I can't wait till he takes on more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sometimes they don't, but it doesn't matter because at that point it's their journey. You know, so even in the resistance of them, and this is my opinion, the resistance of them taking on their stuff, there's, there's life lessons in that, Mm -hmm. you know, just even having something sit there and you're not doing it, but they're not doing it it's still empowerment, even though it doesn't feel that way as a parent, when you're like, why won't my child be motivated to work on their struggles right now? There are tools that they could be using. They're not using. It's still like they're, they're exerting their energy and their power to say, I don't want to. Um, Good point. Yeah. Which I think sometimes parents are like, they feel like they're in a barrier. I know a lot of people in my community will often voice that, like, I don't know what to do because he doesn't want to work on anything. And really, and I know this is easier said than done because it's not my child and I'm over here, but in that standoff of them not doing anything, they are, they're voicing their independence, even though they're struggling. It's hard for us to watch that, but it's the process of eventually getting them to own their own stuff. We have to step back, which is hard. Yeah, I definitely don't like to watch the struggle. My son has uh, food insecurities. And so one of the things that is very difficult for him is to start eating food every day. So breakfast is, is a battle or it has been a battle. And then as we go through the day, he's a little bit more comfortable and physically starving. So more motivated to eat food. Mm-hmm. And we have come to this place where I'm like, okay, you're a big boy. You're, you're not going to starve, I hope. It, I, I really hope yeah. you're not going to starve. But if you wanted to eat half a bowl of cereal or just two pieces of Cheerios, you can choose. And he's learning that when he doesn't get enough food, his body hurts and he's hungry and cranky and all of these things. But there's no... There's no amount of me lecturing or teaching or there's no inputs I can provide anymore aside from not force feeding, but therapeutically feeding my son, force feeding. Um, I, I hate it, but there's nothing more for me to do. He needs to understand for himself why we eat food and why it's important to have food when you take medication, especially. And um, I just hope that, you know, and it's, he's still doing this experimenting in a guided, safe environment. And I hope he becomes empowered through that. He gets to know if he doesn't want to take his meds today, what does that mean? And that just means he's going to have a harder time and he's going to need some extra supports or he's going to need to ask ask for help. And I don't want to send the message that he has to be on medication for the rest of his life. It's not a crippling or limiting issue, but if he doesn't want to be on medication, which is an option, He's going to have to know how to ask for help, how to get to a safe place, how to meet his sensory input needs in an appropriate way because medication is not the only option. He could be unmedicated with the right skills. And holy moly, that would be, that's amazing. That, that would be so, such a success story. And so, you know, whichever path he takes, I want him to be successful with. And you mentioned the, the journaling so that's how I ended up writing a book. Because, yeah. Yeah. So I had, I had a you 
when we were fostering. I had someone who would come to the house and they weren't on the foster side. It wasn't get these kids out of here. It was the family mm, sustainability type of motivation of we want you to be successful. So when these problems arise, we're not going to say, oh, well, we're going to say, hey, here's every resource you can even imagine. Let's, let's fill your cup. And one of the things that I was told by our adoption support worker was to start writing my thoughts down, good, bad, ugly, all of them, write them down. So I started journaling and I could see looking back at this journal, how intense certain things were and how momentous others were. And it gave me perspective and it gave me a sense of control over my own mind and just to see, hey, some days go up, some days go down. I still am who I am. And if today's a down day, I'm going to write about that. And that's okay too. I had an outlet that wasn't my child because I didn't want that to come out and spew onto him because my problems, my insecurities, they're mine. Just like his are his. They're with this invisible illness. He's, he's, he's got to figure out how to deal with that on his own. And I, same for me. So writing ended up evolving into another therapist advising me, hey, Janelle, you need to go and do something that's productive with all of these thoughts and ideas. You should go do something that has nothing to do with your child. So I ended up writing a book on my child. I mean, not really <laughs> about my journey, yeah, but I ended though. up going to a writing group and and communicating those ideas. and. They were validated. People said, I'm so proud of you. This is exciting. This is, and that's the same sense of control and, or re-control and re-owning my identity of my thoughts, my feelings, my experience is helpful, beneficial, relatable, and I'm not off in crazy outer space land where I think I'm alone or nobody understands. And that was one of the best things I've ever done in my life was to put these thoughts into words and have them be validated. Yeah. And then do it for other people. Yes. There's something really validating about reading a memoir and being like, oh my gosh, I have these feelings and I didn't want to say them. I don't want to admit them. And here they are, here's someone else having them, which is, is so healing for, for other people to read. Right. I have a lot of those in the book. I had to do some hmm, praying or, or digging within myself to say, do I put these words in there? And at some point, I had sent a chapter to someone who um, has another child with special needs. And she said, Janelle, you said the things that I've wanted to say. This is my life, but I still feel like I can't say it. Would you please say it? And I said, all right. That's, that was all I needed was yeah. for someone to say, These, this is absolutely real. You're not alone. Say it. Yeah. And I hit all kinds of comments about how powerful the story is. And I, I did fear people would say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe she wrote what she did. What she thought. What? <laughs> and. I'm waiting for the review to come in and say, oh, foster mom thought about doing that or doing this, or I'm waiting for it, but uh, it's not coming. People just keep saying, yes, that is what it feels like. And thank you for expressing that. And thank you for making me feel 
that I am important, my thoughts are valid, my feelings are valid, and that on top of all of this mess, I can actually get out. And they watch me get out of the gutter, as I call it. And I want to empower other women and I want them to know that they're not alone. And some of this is just very scary, constantly being reminded that you have no idea what you're doing or you're not qualified or not ready. You didn't prepare or there's no handbook. You know, no one gets a handbook for their child. Yeah constantly being reminded that you don't have what it takes. You have to have a grounded perspective of who you are, regardless of the situation that you, you can get what you need. You, you can actually learn the skills. You can go get the resources. I mean, that's how we get a job. We want the job. We go learn. It's very basic, but in motherhood, there's, I don't know, there's something very powerful about being told or through messaging that you don't have what it takes and it's hard to overcome. And sometimes it's from within us, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I do walk readers through losing that sense of power and identity and regaining that sense of power and identity. Yeah, which I'm excited to read it. I haven't read it yet. It just came out. When did it come out? A couple. It, yeah, officially came out on j- no, not January, February 1st. And uh, because I self-published and I don't know how Amazon works, the moment I put the documents on Amazon platform, uh, they were released. So it's officially been out for six weeks, or I guess unofficially. Yeah. And it's already it's already raised up to the 95th um, ranking in all books on adoption. So it's in the top 100 for all books on adoption. It is. I don't, I don't know how to handle this. I'm, I'm so excited. And then it's in the top 1000 for all books on parenting, which I, I don't think I intended it to be truly a yeah. parenting book, but that experience is resonating with the readers and the ratings are going up and it's just very exciting. My son loves it. He wants to hand them out for free. We've had talks about it. <laughs> can't really do that always. And he feels like a celebrity. And with the first royalty check, we are going to go buy him. He wants a tuxedo. We're going to go buy him a suit. That is oh, his, cute. That's what he gets. That's he, what he deserves, what he's dreaming of. He wants to be fancy and a celebrity a little bit. That is so cute. So what's the name of the book so people can find it? It is called Unadoptable Faith Beyond Foster Care. And that's unadoptable, all pulled apart with a big hyphen in the middle because I can't, I, I can't use that word. I, I really struggled with that word so much. And then I realized my son is unadoptable because he's mine. Aww. And I took that, that concept of, Mm, rejection. And I, and I took full ownership of it. I said, yeah, you can't adopt him because he's mine. I love that. I love that. He's so lucky. He's lucky that he found such a awesome forever family. So where can people find more information about you besides obviously your book is on Amazon and it's doing really well. So, and I, I personally, like, I love reading memoirs, so I will definitely get your book. Um, are you going to record it? 
Ah, uh, if I have time ever in my life, yes. You have a radio voice. I think you should. Um, you. It's easy. I can tell you how to do it. I did it from my book. Yes, yes. You want Audible. Um, but what was I saying? So, oh, I love reading memoirs. And so I, I honestly think that just reading your memoir, even if you are not in the foster adoption world, mm-hmm. seeing... I mean, I think so many people, even today, listening to this can relate to everything you're saying because it's very, it's, you can really generalize this, that a lot of us feel these struggles and a lot of these um, feelings that we don't want to say out loud because we don't, it's stuff that no one talks about, the ugly feelings. I think I did a whole podcast on the ugly feelings that we have that no one wants to talk about. And, oh, yeah. And then feeling inspired, you know, that, I mean, the story continues, obviously, but that you got yourself to a place where you got out of that darkness and just inspirational. So I hope everybody checks it out. Um, is there a website two people can go to to learn more about you? Yes, I am at JanelleMaloney.com. And I hope you put that in the notes because I the will. spelling is weird. And also, I am the author of AdoptionToLife.com or on social media at AdoptionToLife, which is a play on words. Um, so going from the moment of adoption to what now? And so I do share on our struggles and our successes. And, I, and sometimes I flat out say, hey, I don't know how to do this. And so I love the community that's been fostered in that social media world. So please check it out. Follow me. Ask me questions. Tell me what you think about the book. I want to hear honest, gritty. Give it to me. I want to hear all about it and um, just encourage more women and more parents. It doesn't have to be women, but I want to encourage more parents with the absolute truth that there is hope for tomorrow and today is not the end and that that crisis of the day you don't have to be caught up in it it's not a tornado that lasts forever it lasts a moment and then there's more and you you regain you recoup and you have what it takes yep good message to end on i love it go follow her on instagram and hear her sing (laughs) (laughs) thank you such good songs. <laughs> that, that's worth it in itself. I follow her on Instagram, especially. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Janelle. I really appreciate it. Thank you again, Natasha. Have a wonderful rest of your week. You too. So if you want to check out Janelle's book, I would highly recommend it. And you can check it out on Amazon. It is called Unadoptable Faith Beyond Foster Care. And you can also follow her on Instagram. Highly recommend it. And her name on Instagram is adoption to life. And her website is also adoption to life.com. Check out her work. She is fantastic. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with her. If you're enjoying the podcast in general, you know, I always appreciate it. If you hit a star on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, wherever you're consuming your podcast, it does help. Every little bit does help. Let's other parents know that there's value to the show. If you have a few extra seconds and you really feel like giving back or you have something really nice to say, um, you can leave a review. I greatly appreciate that. And to show my gratitude, I always like to leave the show reading one of them. So I want to thank Michelle Hall for leaving a review. She wrote the best. Thank you, Michelle. She said, I love all the podcasts and videos Natasha does. We've been going to therapy about five months now to help my 13 year old son with OCD. The way she explains it has helped my whole family understand it. I think we should have learned this information in therapy, but didn't. We still would be floundering around today if it wasn't for Natasha. We absolutely love her. Thank you, Michelle. That's a bittersweet review because it makes me so frustrated when I hear that people are floundering in therapy. 
but it also warms my heart that I'm able to from afar, get people on the right track. So if you have something to say, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.